Good evening, saints and friends, my Bible study crew. Good evening. God bless you. Good to have you with us. Remember to like, comment, share, subscribe, all those other fun things. Welcome to those who are in the building. And uh, we will bow our heads and we will begin with a uh, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean, God. Thank you for another uh, time to come before you and study the word of God. Thank you for these eager listeners. God, I'm asking that you would strengthen me, that you would speak through my mind, speak through my mouth. Uh, God, that you would uh, give me clarity and allow the people's hearts and their ears to be touched. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We appreciate you. Hey there. Hello. So good to see all of you online. So we're going to immediately jump into what we're talking about for today. And once again, we're going back over Sunday's lesson. And it was called Birthing the New. Birthing the New. And so we are looking at that based on um, some previous things that we have been uh, talking about and discussing. And so let's go back and look at the key scripture. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about turning this into a series called Newness. We started off with the first one, which was new, and look, let's go over that again. Now embrace this word. These were all uh, six points with for that new. Now embrace this word, not ever wavering, not ever worry, no one else worthy, no one else willing, no extra weight. And that's kind of what we focused on was no extra weight in order for us to get a hold of the new. And so then uh, we keyed on, in on this scripture. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So moving forward, even uh, this coming Sunday, I'm going to stay within that idea of new. So we're in a series called newness. And let's look at this definition. Not existing before, introduced, discovered recently or now for the first time. So we've been talking about that as it relates to the new year, but more than just a new calendar year, how do we grab a hold of newness? And, and the idea that I've been thinking uh, specifically is as it relates to the way this decade started, 20 and 21, and how challenging they have been. And uh, I don't believe that that's supposed to be the whole entire decade. I do believe there's supposed to be a turnaround, and I think uh, what I'm talking when I'm talking about newness, I'm trying to get us not to be conditioned based on the first two years of this decade to think it's always going to be this way, to start looking and believing that the challenges of the previous two years sets us up for possible blessings in these latter years of the decade. So we have to have a new mentality, more than just a year or a calendar or a time, it's, it's a mentality. When, once you start getting negative for a while, you have to shift before positive ever comes, you have to have a shift in your mindset, like nah, it's enough of this negative. I'm, I want something new, I want something different. So that's how I'm uh, thinking about it when I'm trying to talk to us about newness. So. What I did last Sunday, which I hadn't done before, is I gave us a definition of old because I want to start comparing and contrasting to, to the two. So old, belonging only or chiefly to the past, former or previous. And that leads us to this verse in Isaiah, which was before the verse 
that talks about I'll do a new thing. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. So it's telling us that in order to embrace new, you have to do something with old. And here it is simply saying forget. And when we say forget, we're not saying you erase it from your memory, but you erase its ability to control you and dictate you. So if there are negative things in the past, you don't allow them to shape your future. You only look back at them to see how far you've come from. So forget the former things. Do not dwell. Dwell means live. So it's basically saying not that you won't remember anything. It's saying don't live in the past. Don't get stuck in the past. And I I shared on Sunday as well, for me, dealing with uh, the death of my father, I have to be very careful that I don't dwell in a state of disappointment and lose the momentum that's necessary to carry the ministry forward and even carry myself forward. So you have to do something with old. You, you, you look at it, you recognize it, but you don't allow it to control you. And the best way to do that is not to live in it, to move forward. So having said that, that's what brought us to this idea, birthing the new. So I'm coming from the idea of we actually have to, like a pregnancy, we have to push the new out. In other words, the new is not going to come in just because a new year came in. The new year is just numbers. New is a mindset that we're going to have to push into. And the idea of birthing is important because there's pain involved in birthing. And uh, when when you deal with a a pregnancy, there's pain many times along the way. There's morning sickness. There's certain different pains in different trimesters. And what's interesting, we're trying to move from the pain of the first two years of this decade, and we're trying to move into something new, but it's still going to be painful. And we have to understand that so you don't get depressed when you're dealing with things that are somewhat painful. You have to know the difference from the pain of the old and the pain of producing something new. You take a person who it starts a business, a business owner. I, I, I actually am a business myself. Andre Mitchell Ministries is a business. My wife has a business. So I, I understand the very first few years, it's very laborious. A lot of labor, a lot of work, a lot of pain to get to a sweet spot where you kind of can coast and money's coming in, income. But you were always, you're always working. It's never like you're just going to sit on the sidelines. And we can't think that just because we're Christians and we say that we're blessed and God favors us, that we'll ever get to a place that we won't have to have effort or we'll never be challenged. That's just not reality. But the idea is we want the challenges to produce something. So if we're always in a birthing position, then what we're saying is that everything that led me up to this point, good or bad, is actually going to produce something. So I've often said this, and I think it's key to understanding life is pain is productive. Pain actually produces if you allow it. Pain can be debilitating or it can be productive. You can allow the pain to push you forward or you can allow the pain to cripple you. You take two uh, men who go and work out one full week and then at the end of the year, one stays with it, one quits after the first week. The one who stayed with it, yes, they felt the same pain, 
But at the end of that year, their results are going to be so much different than the one who allowed the pain to make them quit. And that's the hardest thing in life is being able to go through the pain and birth something that is uh, beneficial or allowing the pain to cripple you to where you quit. We've all felt like quitting, but if we can birth the new, then what we'll do, we'll make the old, the older actually make more sense. All right. So having uh, set that up, let's look at our first verse. Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless or she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife became pregnant. So remember, in Bible study, we slow things down a little bit and uh, we don't move as fast as we do on, on Sunday morning. So I'm picking the uh, verse up somewhere in the middle of the 25th chapter. And it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. So first of all, they were already de dealing with a level of pain and it was the pain of barrenness, the pain of emptiness, the pain of not being able to produce. Before you get to the pain of production, you go through the pain of a lack of production. And some people don't even ever get out of that stage. But I like what it says. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. And that's powerful for us who I'm training to be disciples is that oftentimes people who are stuck in barren seasons, they only get their breakthrough through your prayer, your ability to intercede for them. It didn't say he prayed for himself. He prayed on behalf of his wife. Now, would it have blessed him? Yes, it would have blessed him. But the one who was really stuck in the barrenness was Rebecca. And so Isaac prayed for her. So the question that I, I have, no matter where you are in your pain journey and your production journey, can you pray for the behalf of someone else? And will those prayers be answered? Or the scripture says the Lord answered his prayer. It didn't say the Lord answered Rebecca's prayer, which is interesting. Doesn't tell us whether or not she prayed, but the fact that she was stuck in the barren situation would seem to suggest she probably prayed too, but God actually heard Isaac's prayer. There are some people who are connected to you, but God will hear you more than he will hear them because your relationship, you're closer to uh, God than they are. So your children, the people you mentor, so they can't afford for you to get stuck and old and quit because many times their prayers are tied into you. They need you. They may not know how much they need you, but clearly it says the Lord answered his prayer and then Rebecca received the results of it. All right, let's go back. She became pregnant. Then it said the babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, the first thing that we looked at says that God listened to Isaac on behalf, on behalf of Rebekah. Now something is happening in Rebekah, and the Bible says she wondered, and then she inquired of the Lord. In other words, she was able to go to God for herself. So the beautiful thing about discipleship and mentoring is you're always trying to get the person to the place where they can inquire of the Lord for themselves. You become the conduit, the kickstarter, but at some point, 
they're able to stand on their own two feet. And so that's something that, that we want to see. So that happened to her. But had she not had the leadership of Isaac, when she started having something that was very personal going on the inside of her, she wouldn't have known who to turn to. She turned to God. And she says, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Let's continue. The Lord said to her, so the Lord answered her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So God began to speak to her on something much deeper than what was just normally internal to her. Um, Internal to her was she just had twins in her body. She just had two babies. But God said, actually, there are nations inside of you. In other words, God began to talk about the future. And what I need you to understand is what you're wrestling with on the inside of you is not just the simple things that you think they are. They're actually for future generations. We believe the Lord is coming back, but we really don't know how long. So we have to live like he can come back tomorrow, but we have to be prepared like he won't come back for another 100 years. So we have to pour into the generations that are coming after us. In other words, we have to be the type of person that grows and gets a relationship with God because people are being connected to us. And if they outlive us and God tarries his coming and we don't make it to the rapture, we have to have something we poured into. So what God was saying is what's happening inside of you is much deeper than you. It's actually much greater than you. It speaks to future generations. So I want to read it again and slow down just a little. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your room and two peoples from within you will be separated. So there's two nations in you, but they're actually going to go in separate directions. Now, this reminds me of the spiritual journey that we deal with as humans, that we are spirit, but we live in a fleshly body and we have a soul, three-part beings. Uh, we were made in the image of God, which is the triune God, God the Father, God uh, the Son, and God the Spirit. We uh, similarly in his image are made uh, three-part, but because of the fall of man, the flesh grew a lot of power, and then so did the soul. When we get saved, our spirit is regenerated, made new. The scripture says, uh, and this goes with, with the idea of newness, it says, if any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. The actual uh, Greek of that is that he's a new creation never before created, meaning when you were unsaved, that was a whole nother you. The, when you get saved, and God, he gives you a brand new spirit that's regenerated, brand new, fresh. But you're still stuck with an old flesh and an old soul. And it causes an internal battle within every Christian because you have a side of you that leans into the things of God. And you have a side of you that leads into the things of the world. And then you have the soul who's caught in between those so even though God was speaking to Rebecca about nations, he's also speaking to us spiritually 
that there are two natures inside of you. And the natures cannot be the same. They have to be separated. But it says one people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Talking about Jacob and Esau. But when it comes to us spiritually, the spiritual implication is the newest will be the strongest. The oldest will eventually have to submit and serve the youngest. And the idea that we uh, know of that for the future when it comes to uh, what the uh, Bible tells us in the end of the world, it says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Lord. What is happening is we are confessing him now. And because we confess him now, eventually our flesh has to yield and bow to that. It has to serve the newer, the new us. It can't serve the old us. But there's a battle because the old us has been around for a while. The, uh, the movies, TV, music are tailored to the old us. You only have a few things tailored to the new us, which is church and and, uh, you know, the Bible studies and reading the Bible. Those are things that we have to press in on our, on our own. It's a fight. It's a battle. But the scriptures basically let us know in the end, the newer is going to win. The older is going to have to serve the younger. So you have to press into this because there is a fight between these uh, natures and nations. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Let's look at this. When God is doing something new, it sometimes requires us to step into the unknown, which may feel uncomfortable, scary, and even unpleasant at first. We might be tempted to hold on to the lifestyle we know where everything is familiar, but we need to let go of the old, trust God, and embrace what he is doing. This is not just something we need for a new year. This is what we need all the time to know as we are trying to live out this life to get the older to serve the younger or to get the newness of life to come forth. We have to be willing to step into these uncertainties, the uncertainties of what we call faith, the uncertainties of not having everything all spelled out for us and trusting God. That when God starts taking things away from us or disciplining us from things or weaning us from things, that we say, okay, God, your way is best, so I choose you. Well, the old you says, but this doesn't feel good. Well, I don't like this. I'd much rather lean into my addiction, lean into my anger. I'm, at this point, I'm used to being depressed. I'm used to living anxious. But you're trying to press something different, something new, and the wrestling of all that can sometimes be challenging. And honestly, it gets exhausting. And sometimes you just want to quit. And then a new year rolls around and you feel like, well, I should at least try to press into something new. But I'm encouraging you to do so because it's a possibility that what is in the new is actually going to force the old to serve it. So we have to lean into that. Those words that I just read to you, they were not my words. They were words for a lady named Audrey. I found it in her blog, and she was talking about faith and newness. And, and she was actually, let's read it again. 
when God is doing something new, it sometimes requires us to step into the unknown, which is faith, not being able to see things, which may feel uncomfortable. I will say it actually is uncomfortable, especially the, the higher level of faith that you're operating in, the more uncomfortable it is. Scary and even unpleasant at first. Uh, I'll bring this scripture up. The Bible says that, that the chastening of the Lord, that it later yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, but it doesn't feel good right now. So the scripture says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And he scourges every son he receives or he corrects, he disciplines. He doesn't always discipline us because we're doing wrong. Sometimes he disciplines us because we're doing right. The Bible says that, that uh, in John 15, it talks about us bearing fruit. It says every tree and every uh, branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, I cut off. Then it says every branch that does bear fruit, I cut on so that it will bear more fruit. So no matter what you're doing, you're going to get cut some way or another. Now, if you're doing wrong consistently, you're going to get cut off. But if you're doing right or trying to do right, you still get cut, but you get cut on so that you can do more right. So a lot of what we deal with, even in the things of God, knowing that God loves us, sometimes are very unpleasant because he's always trying to bring the newness of life out of us. And sometimes that requires cutting. I, I'm not, I don't have a green thumb and I don't understand plants as much, but I have watched people and what they do. And you'll see one leaf of the plant turning brown and you'll see somebody who knows what they're doing. They'll cut it so that it can regrow and look new. They will make sure it's watered, but it's not just water and sunshine. There's cutting. There's, there's a lot of things that are unpleasant, but when you understand the result God is after, then what you do, you trust him. You trust the process and you lean into it because you understand that out of this cutting, I'm going to produce more. And actually, there's a newness coming out of this. Uh, we, we talked about last year about the, uh, the caterpillar and the butterfly and how getting into that cocoon and, and the process of going from the caterpillar to the butterfly is not always pleasant. But what it produces is pleasant. So the good thing about God, he's already shown us and told us what the end is going to be. So that should give us enough hope to stay on the path. Olympic runners, Olympic swimmers, those people, they know there's a gold medal, a silver medal, a bronze medal, or competing for your country on a large global stage. They know what the result is before they ever start preparing for the Olympics. So when they're training and there's nobody around and they're sweating and they're hurting and they're strained muscles, they keep their eyes on the ultimate prize so that they can keep moving forward. And that's the same thing we're saying to us is that we're not just talking about heaven, which is awesome, but there are other results that God has for us. And we're trying to lean into those things and get what God has for us, whether it be no longer dysfunction in our family, healthier bodies, prosperous lives with uh, money as well as uh, other material things, as well as things that are not materials, prospering in relationships. There are many things that are available to us, but we have to be willing to press into them and birth the new in order to get it. All right. So she says unpleasant at first and then 
we might be tempted to hold on to the life we know where everything is familiar. I know people who are fed up with where they are, but the fear of moving forward is so great, they stay and settle for it because it's familiar. I'm in a dead-end job. I don't like this job, but I've been here 10 years. I'm afraid of trying something new. But they know what they're in is not what they want. I'm in a relationship, and I know the relationship is going nowhere fast, but it keeps me from being lonely. So the trick is to settle for the familiar because the unknown is so fearful. And I've got to the place where I can manage, excuse me, I got to the place where I can manage the familiar, but I don't know if I can manage the new. I don't know if the pain of birthing the new is going to be better than the pain of the familiar. So a lot of people choose to just stay the same stay the course. And a lot of people at the end of their life, they have a lot of regrets because they never pursued what was on the other side of their faith. I'm not building those type of Christians. I'm building state-of-the-art Christians. And if you're going to be state-of-the-art, you've got to press into the unknown. And the reason why is not for your own blessing and your own results, which is important, but what we said earlier, people are connected to you. There are people who are settling that will stop settling if they see you break through. They said, my goodness, Althea, she was on my level last year, but she's here this year. I'm going to do what she did. So your breakthrough is so important because it inspires, it becomes inspirational for other people's breakthrough. When you look in a bookstore, there is a huge section set for inspirational books and biographies of people who pressed into the newness and took a chance and they live to tell their story and other people are inspired and they go and they do likewise. I'm saying you are those people, but you have to be willing to birth the new. All right. So we might be tempted to hold on to the life we know where everything's familiar, but we need to let go of the old. Number one, trust God. Number two and number three, embrace what he is doing. And what I'm prophetically telling you, what he is doing is something new. And I'm using Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Then the scripture says, shall ye not know it? In other words, I'm definitely positively going to do a new thing. But whether or not you are going to know it is left up to you. So, we cannot blame God and say God didn't do anything new. God is saying, no, I'm doing a new thing. It's just up to you whether you are going to press into it, embrace it. So that's what we are saying. All right. That was a long rabbit trail. Let's get back to this scripture. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys within her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. I'll give us a little context because, you know, when, when you're looking at the scripture, there is the literal and then there's the spiritual. Literally, he was red and hairy. But what does that represent spiritually? Well, spiritually, 
we were made from the dust of the ground. The dust in that region, it was dark, but it was a reddish dark. Even uh, Adam or Adam, when you look at the Hebrew, it speaks of a deep dark, but it's a reddish hue. And so when it says he came out and he was red, it's talking about he was connected to the earth. He was earthly. When we show up, we show up first earthly, but our spirit comes next after our spirits are made alive. The beauty of it all is the scripture tells us that Jesus shed his blood. So it was the red of his blood to counteract the red of the earthliness because his blood trumps everything else. So it, it, it's a lot of spiritual implications in the fact that the red came out first, the, the, the red and, and the hairy. So let's, let's look at it again. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. So once again, because we're in Bible study, we break things down. So that clicks in my mind. Okay, first of all, I understand what the red is related to earth, but what does the hairy have to do with anything? His whole body was hairy like a garment. All right, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where they were naked and not ashamed. But the moment they sinned, they realized that they were naked. And the first thing they did is they cut animal skins and they covered their bodies with something hairy because before they were covered by the glory of God. So they never knew that they were naked because they had God's glory. But when they sinned, they lost the glory and they had to cover themselves and they covered themselves with a garment that was hairy. And then when God said, Adam, where art thou? He says, basically, I hid because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree? And we remember the story that, yes, they did. But, but the, the point is they lost then the consciousness of God. So when we come back to Esau, and the scripture says this, that this will help you understand. The scripture says, Jacob have I love." But Esau have I hated. Before uh, they had ever even came out, and God was not saying he hated Esau. He was saying, I hate the flesh because the flesh is opposed to my ways. But the flesh must come first, first natural, then spiritual. The flesh must come first. But the flesh, the scripture in Romans says, is an enemy against God. So, the first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. Esau represents the flesh. All right, now we can go to verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Another thing that's important, the number six is the number of man. So Isaac was 60 years old when uh, this happened. Six represents man, but the number 10, it represents order, but also represents te test. Six times 10 is 60. 
I, I won't get too much into numerology because I might I might blow blow your mind. So I'll slow down just a little bit. But I know y'all my deep crew, so y'all can y'all can handle this. But just just I'll just throw those things out there about sixty and let you study the other things about sixty itself. You can look up sixty on your own. I just gave you six and ten. So Jacob grabs his heel. Now, does that click anything in your mind? Let's go back to the Garden of Eden again. So when God was handing out curses, he told the woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth. He said, you're going to produce a seed. But the seed of the serpent will try to come against the seed of the woman. And it says that it will it will like it will uh, basically get the heel, but the heel would crush the head. So uh, it's in Genesis three. I'm not quoting it well because it's just coming to the top of my mind. But I'm trying to get you guys to think of what we see later in here when we see all these things with Esau. We see heel. So it's speaking much more than just twins in the womb. It's speaking of the natural versus the spiritual. It's speaking of that fight, speaking of the grabbing of the heel. And here's the power of that statement. In our own naturalness, we have a way of, in our own spirit, of trying to wrestle the old away. We have a way of trying to grab on the heel and try to get into the newness of life our, ourselves. So every human being goes through cycles of newness. But the key of the heel is the scripture says that the heel of the seed will crush the head of the serpent. So the real heel that we're grabbing is not the heel of the old. We're grabbing the heel of our savior because that's what's going to crush the serpent that's always trying to bring us into that which is old. So it's much deeper than us just pressing into the new and fighting the old. It's a spiritual principle that without the help of God, us pressing into newness will always end in us a loss. However, if the newness that we're grabbing is the heel of our Savior, the the crushing blow that he dealt to Satan and the flesh and the earth, then we are actually on the heels of that which wins. So we're going to be okay. But we have to be willing to press into it. We have to be willing to embrace it. We have to be willing to say, okay, okay, God, I don't know where you're going with this, but I do know who I trust. I do know who I lean on. I do know who I believe. I do know who has my best interest. So, hey, it's me and you, God. We, we're going. We're going this way. We, we, we're pressing. We, we're moving. We, we are not afraid. We're going because we understand that we are in a birthing position and we're going to birth out something amazing. All right, let's move a little, a little faster. The new is often attached to the old, yet the new is more powerful than the old if given time and space. Now I'm going to skip over what we talked about on uh, Sunday and I'm going to go all the way to my third point. Third point is when the old won't give way to the new, 
loss is inevitable. I will bring this up again. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, uh, I will take a little time to talk about this again, that wineskins were animal skins. Once again, we're going back to animal skins. Now that we recognize that animal skins also represent what? They represent the flesh. They represent, okay, more than just the flesh, they represent us trying to atone and cover for our own sins. Um, Even deeper than that, um, a lot of people will say, okay, I don't need God or Jesus because I'm a good person. I'm, you know, I'm good. No, your goodness is not going to do it. What you're trying to do, you're trying to use animal skin to cover uh, the fall of man. No, you need Jesus. You need the newness of the spirit. So with that, the scripture also lets us know there's two major things that represent the spirit of God. It's the oil of the olive and it's the wine from the grape. So now let's since we're in Bible study, let's dig deeper than just the idea of alcohol being poured into a skin. The new wine, the new spirit, the new fresh anointing, the fresh revelation, if it's poured into a skin, an animal skin that is old, an old mindset, an old fleshly idea, an old idea where I am the one to uh, cover myself. I am a self-made man or a self-made woman. That new wine will never last in that old fleshly mindset. It will burst out and it will uh, be destroyed. So new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So when God is telling us to embrace new and become new, It's also because he's going to pour something fresh and new in us, new revelation, new insight, a lot of newness he's going to pour in us. So first, he says, I have to deal with the skin first. I have to deal with you first. And going back again is that animal skins, at some point, they become old and brittle when they're no longer attached to the animal. And they're now they're used to carry uh, the wine. At some point, they would they become old. Uh, old and brittle. And it's okay as long as it's old wine in there. Because new wine, when it's poured, it also expands. And so when they got new wine, they said we would have to have new wineskin. And what they would do to the new wineskin, it wasn't always that they would cut a new animal. Sometimes they would take the same skin, but they would dip it in some type of oil or something and massage it so that it was no longer old and brittle. If it was too old, they couldn't do anything with it. They'd have to throw it away and start over. But sometimes it could be massaged and it could be made new. The scripture says, behold, all things are become or becoming new. You are the same you, but God is massaging you so that you can be ready for what he's pouring in you. Another thing going uh, a little deeper is, the uh, the idea of the anointing, when you, you study that out in, in, in its fullness, 
It actually means to be smeared on, to be painted on, to be rubbed in. It actually, they talked about the oil. They would actually rub it into the skin to make the skin flexible again if it gotten too brittle. And so new wine also uh, represents a new anointing. So what God does is he actually begins to rub into you in the times of your trials, in your challenges. He begins to rub into you and massage into you. He begins to anoint you to handle the challenge. But he's not anointing you to handle the challenge just so you can stay in challenges. He's anointing you to handle the challenge so you can get through the challenge and he can pour something brand new in you that will make you happy you went through the challenge. But if you get stuck in the challenge, you become brittle. So God begins to work. So oftentimes when God begins to speak to us about new, he's speaking about things that he's going to blow our mind with. Blessings that will blow your mind. Blessings that you never saw coming. Exceeding abundantly above. But he gets us ready in the trials. He gets us ready in the challenges. And if we're willing to lean into the new, we will be happy for everything we went through. There are things that I'm doing now that I thank God for what I went through then. But when I was in it then, I was crying that God would get me out of it. He didn't get me out of it, but he massaged me in it. He rubbed on me in it. He anointed me in it. Uh, That's why David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then he said, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemy. He didn't lift him out of the situation, but he worked with him in the situation. And then once he gets out of the situation, he pours in something fresh and new. Okay, so let me see if I can. I, I got real deep. Let me see if I can summarize it for you. There are blessings that await you. Yes. But there are also blessings and rewards when you go through things and you come out on the other side better than what you went in. So you have certain blessings that are scheduled for you. And in order to get that blessing, you have to go through hell to get it. You get the blessing. That's great. But there are other people that are like, well, they seem to be doubly blessed than I, I am. Because not only do they get the blessing that was already scheduled for them, that they had to go through hell to get, they get blessed by the way they go through the hell. Because not everybody goes through the hell the same way. Some people go through it kicking, screaming, complaining, backsliding, up and down. They finally get it turned around, come out on the other side, they get a blessing. There's other people, when they go through they go through and they get focused. They go through and say, God, I'm still going to praise you. They go through and say, God, I'm still going to worship you. They go through hurting and crying, getting bad news, still show up at church, still come to Bible study. Those two people are not the same and their blessings will not be the same because there is a blessing in how you go through as well. And so what I'm saying to us Deliverance Temple and these the way this decade has hit, we have gone through it, but we've gone through it well. And so there's something on the other side for us 
that is different than just what everybody else gets. We're not here to compare ourselves with anybody else. But I want you to understand that once we start getting things and things start popping off and rolling in, I don't want you to think like, well, we lucked into this. No, we didn't luck into this. We, in dark times, we leaned into the dark and we took another step. In uncertain times, we leaned into the uncertain times and we took another step of faith. We said, God, we still serve you. We still are going to live our vision every day. How do I come to a church of love and love on people when I go home and I'm being hated? Or I go to my job and I'm being hated? I got hate here, I hate there, but I come here and I still try to communicate Christ's love compassionately. God is saying, okay, DT, I seen how you went through it. Not all of us, but a great majority of us, and there's going to be an extra blessing on this because of that. But what I'm saying is in order to get that, there's going to be another final push of birthing the new. It's, it, it's there, it's close, but we don't want to miscarry in the ninth month and the last day. We don't, we, we don't want to even die in childbirth. We want to birth the new, press it out, and then we'll walk into whatever it is that God has prepared for us. Uh, let's, let's look at this. The job of the new is to preserve the old, not destroy it. And it says, and no one after drinking old wine wants to new, for they say the old is better. And the, the idea of that and the point of me bringing that up is that there are some things from the old that need to remain. And it's our job to carry them through and make them make sense. And for me and for us, really, it's the legacy of our bishop. He cannot be forgotten. What he taught us cannot be forgotten. Now, we have to move on from his death, yes, and we can't stay in that and we can't grieve forever, but we're not moving on from him. We're moving forward in him in a new way. So that means we need to love more. We need to be like he was and fight for the underdog. We're not trying to destroy his legacy. We're trying to make his legacy more strong. And we can't get over here and be like, oh, woe is me. We lost our bishop. Yes, it happened. Yes, it happened by COVID. Yes, we may have still some questions about it, but we're not going to cry forever. We've got a job to do. We have to make his legacy mean something. On Monday, we're celebrating the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. As African-American people, the dream is not left up to him. He was assassinated. The dream from that moment is in our hands. And if you let go of the dream, you can't blame him. No, you have to make sure you preserve the old by how you move into the new. And that goes for all of our loved ones and heroes that have gone on before us. How do we hold up the family name? How do we live for uh, the people who birthed us, our, our ancestors? I think about the fact that our ancestors went through slavery, was beat and raped and robbed. And you mean I'm going to live less than and live lower than? No, no, no. I'm going to rise to the top because I am somebody. I've been uh, lately reading the, the, the book of Sidney Portier. And he just passed away, and uh, one of our members gave me the book last year. I started it, but I had some other books I needed to read. So uh, my goal was uh, in the new year I was going to go ahead and finish it. But he, he died right, right at the beginning of this year. 
And as I was reading it, I realized how important he was because he came from humble beginnings. But in his mind, he never was less than. So he walked into a Hollywood scene that would tell him he was less than because of his skin. He's like, no, I'm not. You come too late to make me believe I'm less than. Yes, I have less education than you, less money than you, but I am who I am and you will respect me. He turned down jobs that would have gave him more money because they wanted him to play a role that would have diminished what he felt like black people were. Even in, in the, uh, the movie Heat of the Night, when he's slapped by a white man, he turns around and slaps him back. That was Sidney's idea to put that in the script. He said, I don't want to do a movie and, and show me being beat without uh, some response. But he talks about the fact that he was trying to uphold a legacy, the legacy of his parents. And so who has gone before us? Now, you may say, well, shoot, I don't have uh, anybody. Well, that's why you have the Old Testament. If all your ancestors are no good, you can go back to the Old Testament and look at the Abrahams, the Noahs, the Davids. You, you always have somebody that you can carry a legacy on. This is not the season to have a pity party or woe is me. There's no excuse for us not to succeed in life. There's no excuse for us not to rise. Yes, we've had horrible things happen to us, but we have everything we need to rise and be the type of people that God can say, those are my ambassadors. It's our time to do it. Yes, uh, we can do it. Yes, we will uh, arise again. So let's look at this. The purpose of birthing the new is to extend the legacy of the old. Amen to that. Extend the legacy. Somebody just uh, go ahead and type that in the comments. Extend the legacy. I'm going to do that as well. Extend the legacy. That's the goal. We're causing the legacy to be more seen. Now let's look at point six. God's promise is no matter how barren things seem, he can still bring something new out of you. Remember, we originally start with the barrenness of Rebecca. And we want you to know, no matter how barren things seem or have seen, no matter what you've been in, no matter how long it has lasted, what I feel prophetically to say to you is something new can come out of you that will bless, actually, your sphere of influence and go beyond that. Yes, I'm working on a new book that's supposed to be finished in July. Uh, or at least by July 2022. But truth of the matter is, I shouldn't be the only author in my church. There's books inside of you. There's poems inside of you. There's artwork inside of you. There's so much inside of you, but you can't be scared. You have to take the chance, get yourself out there, and say, listen, I'm going to do something new. Well, I don't know nothing about writing a book. Well, neither did I. I flunked typing. In eighth grade, I literally flunked typing, and now I'm working on my third book. There's no excuse. When God gives you something, you go after it. Well, listen, my credit's bad, and God's been talking to me about a house. Listen, there's a lot of people that got new homes with bad credit. Start working on your credit. Start looking at stuff. Stop using every excuse why you can't get it done. Well, this happened, this happened. Listen, at some point, 
the cream rises to the top. And if you're going to be a high-level person, a high-level leader, if you're going to be a disciple maker, then we need you to rise, embrace the new, press into the new, and teach others how to do the same. We're not crying about the pandemic. We're not crying about what we lost. We're trying to pick up the pieces, move forward, and make the pieces make sense. We're putting a puzzle together, and we're making the pieces make sense. The Bible says that, he's, God said of, of Abraham, he said, I will make your name great. This is about your name. This is about your legacy. This is about who you are. Your name will be great. When people hear the name Ella, that her name ought to ring out with a, reputa rep uh, with a reputation that represents greatness. When the name Pastor Andre Mitchell is said, people shouldn't have to put their head down. Oh, my goodness. I don't, you don't know about him. No, they ought to be able to say, shoot, yeah, that's my pastor. I appreciate him. And be not because I'm perfect, but because I'm extending a legacy that I'm at least I'm going out there. If I fall, I fall. If I fail, I fail. But I'm like Esther. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to see the king. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to keep preaching the deliverance temple. I'm not up here preaching the woe is me messages. I'm not crying. No, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach prosperity. I'm going to preach love. I'm going to preach joy. I'm going to preach peace. I'm going to preach heaven. I'm going to preach uh, the rapture, the end of the age. I'm going to preach blessing. I, I'm going to keep being me. Devil, you're not going to stop anything. All you do is make me more committed to the task that I have at hand, and I'm getting ready to birth this baby out. I'm pushing this baby out. Now, maybe I do need an epidural. Maybe I do need something to help me with the pain. But at the end of the day, this baby is coming forth. And that's, that has to be our mindset. We are pushing this thing out. Whatever we have to do to get it out. Whatever we have to do to make a difference in Muncie. Whatever we have to do to make a difference in the land. Because if anything you've seen in the last several years, the government ain't it. Democrats and Republicans, if we're trusting them to make the world a better place, you are sadly mistaken. It's not in them. The answer is in the church. But sometimes the church doesn't want to sit around and dance and have conferences. What are we conferring about if we're not getting out there and making a difference? No, we're trying to raise up leaders that will make a difference. We're trying to equip saints who will do something in the earth. And you may not do something public. Everything you may do might be private. You might be a private behind the scenes intercessor, but when you get to heaven, all of heaven will know the reason why Muncie moved forward is because of what you did behind the scenes. Some of us will be in the public eye. I'm in the public eye. All of us won't be in the public eye, but we all are going to be committed to making a difference. And wherever we at, wherever we go, and if we leave this city, wherever city we land, whatever neighborhood we in, whatever community we're in, whatever boards we sit on, whatever job we work at, whatever family we marry into, we will be making a difference. Dr. Creflo Dollar says it this way, making a mark that cannot be erased. We will make a mark in the earth that nobody can erase. And this is the time to push into it. This is the season. All right. That's that's enough of that. We we got deep and we was rolling and y'all y'all did get good with me. Y'all good class. Let's
uh, let's repeat this that we said on Sunday. Um, and those in the building, you can just repeat it. We'll say it one time. And if you're at home, just go ahead and say it out loud, even though you're at home. I believe in what my God can do. So I'll be birthing the new in 2022. All right, that's that's what we're saying. We are, we're going to follow up Sunday with another uh, study on, on newness. I'm not for sure how many weeks we'll, we'll be into this. Just remember, there's something coming down the pipe. We got to get in position to help make it happen. What, what we don't want to see is it skip over us because we weren't in position. No, we're in position and we're going to make it happen. Amen. All right, let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. We appreciate you. God, we thank you for the newness of life that springs forth out of us, God, and what you have in store for us individually as well as collectively, God, and God, how you are positioning us to be in the place we need to do what needs to be done. Thank you for entrusting us, but God, we need to trust you so that we can walk this thing out. Now, Father God, I pray for anybody who've lost relationship with you, fell out of relationship with you, backslidden, or don't know you. God, I'm praying that you would save their soul. God, let the passion in my voice and the passion of Deliverance Temple arrest people's hearts and minds and make them say, what must I do to be saved? And God, you save them. You reclaim the lost because we need to pull as many people into the kingdom of heaven because you are a good God. And we need the world to see how good you are. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for watching. And we will see you next week.